We're starting a brand new series today called Letter to Leaders. Look at your neighbor and say, come on, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. Man, the Lord uh, put this series in my heart um, at the first part of the year. In fact, when we were doing a big planning series and just as I've been digging into it a little bit more, just the Lord's just been putting all the little pieces together. And so I'm super excited. Uh, this is going to be an eight-week series, which is a, a pretty long series for us. We don't normally uh, do a series for eight weeks, but man, it's going to be phenomenal. I just want to just give you guys just a quick little thing. If you miss during the summer, it's not shame on you. Listen, we understand. You take vacations. Come on. And uh, when it's not raining, right? And uh, so, like, people love to be outdoors right now. They love to be out there. And so I would want to encourage you in two things. One, try to make it a priority to be here this summer. There is nothing like being together with other believers and worshiping in the house of the Lord together. There's nothing like sitting in a, in a, a moment like this and allowing the Holy Spirit to move among a group of people and to see what God's doing. There's something that happens when we come together. The Word of God tells us, do not forsake the assembling of the saints together. There's a reason why we are admonished to do that by the Scripture. It's because I believe that there is something that happens when we come together. With that, though, the second thing I want to make note of is that if you happen to be gone, you can always either watch online. We're streaming this gathering currently, uh, as well as the next gathering we'll stream it, and then it's always available online, so you can jump in and grab a part of it, because here's what I believe God is going to do, is I believe God throughout this uh, series is going to challenge leaders in the house to rise up. I believe that he has a plan and purpose, and that plan and purpose includes you. It's never been about me. It's never been about the staff, the board. It's always been about us collectively, that God has placed inside of each and every one of us talents and gifts. And inside of those talents and gifts, he has said, I have a plan and purpose, and I need you to be a part of that. He's constantly using willing vessels. It's where we come to him and say, God, use my hands, use my feet, use my mouth, use my mind. God, use, use my everything. And last week, we were talking about how our words matter. We talked how we model for others and how the investment of time in the next generation is making a difference on those who are around us. And when I think about leadership, I, I think of all the material that I've read throughout the years, and I have read a lot of leadership books. How many else out there, you love leadership books? Come on, just raise your hand, like leadership material. All right, all right. Keep, keep your hands up for a minute real quick. All right, good. I, these are all people that I need now serving in higher capacities. Because here's what I know is that leaders, you know, some people would say this, leaders are born, but I, I would say this, leaders are readers. <laughs> if you want to lead, you should be reading. Um, in my life, I wanted to be a better parent, so you know what we did? We read parenting books. Um, anytime I've worked on health and fitness, we read materials on health and fitness. We're constantly taking in. We're constantly trying to learn. If I want to grow in an area spiritually, I, I begin reading more and going more in depth than that. Because why? Because leaders are readers. And God has called us to lead in our workplaces, in our families, um, in ourselves. I mean, can I tell you, the hardest person to lead is you. 
See, some of you think it's others around you, but the hardest person to lead is you. It's not the people you're at work with. It's not the people who are underneath you or beside you, your, your peers. The hardest person to lead is you because you fool yourself every day. You fool yourself into thinking things every day. And, and, and there's this guy in the scriptures, his name was Paul, who was really kind of living a life of fooling himself. He thought he was living his life according to the plans and purpose that God had laid out. He was, he was you know, a Jew. He, he was a, a, among the Jews. Man, he was, he was a high leader in that. He was someone who understood it. I mean, like, he, he was all things religious, and yet didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And on his way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus that changes everything because can I just tell you, one encounter with Jesus can change everything. And so Saul finds himself, you may say, well, I thought you said his name was Paul. Well, his name changes to Paul after this encounter with God that literally begins to redefine who he is. He begins to realize that he is now a son of the king. And it's not about the things he would accomplish, the law that he would know and try to abide by. It became about a personal relationship with the Father, and it changed everything. And Paul realized something. He realized that the gospel had to go forth, and in order for the gospel to go forth, he was going to have to train up others. He was going to have to pour into others. And so we're going to be looking the next few weeks at three different books throughout the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And we're going to be digging into those books and really pulling from them some principles that we here at Bethany um, say all of our leaders should be. We want our leaders to be fearless. We want them to be fearless leaders. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of sound mind. That You and I are called to be people of confidence, not wavering back and forth, not questioning and wondering. We can be confident in who Christ is. And can I just tell you, even in the midst of things that you feel you can't control, God says that's exactly where I want you. Because if you thought you could control everything, then you'd be the one in charge. But he's the one in charge. Remember, this is his church. This ain't my church. This isn't the staff's church. This isn't the board's church. This ain't your church. It's not any of our church. It's his church. And he's guiding and he's directing. And I was literally over there during worship this morning on that last song, and I was just sitting there, and I was just saying, God, this is all you. This is your church. These are your people. We're just going to put ourselves in the midst of what you're doing, and we're going to trust you in the midst of all of that. Paul is this fearless leader who is writing to these ministry leaders and he's saying to them, he's saying, listen, I want you to do well in your years moving forward. But Paul himself is actually facing death. It's the end of his ministry. He's persecuted by his, for his faith. He's been abandoned by most. And yet Paul doesn't go inward like many of us would. Come on now. Some of us leaders, the minute that things start to get a little tough, we start looking inward and we start going, woe is me and I can't believe all this is happening to me. Paul easily could have done that and been like, Timothy, you on your own, bro. Peace out. Titus, I don't even know who you is. He could have just been like, you are out of here. I'm not going to pour into you because do you not understand what's going on? I'm in prison. I'm probably going to die giving my life for the gospel. I'm a martyr. 
But Paul's focus is not on himself. His focus is on developing others. And he writes this letter to leaders. Timothy, his spiritual son, young, gifted, assigned to lead the church there in Ephesus, a church needing order in the midst of the worship that's happening. There's some doctrinal correction that needs to happen. There's they're being plagued. The church in Ephesus is actually being plagued by false teachers who are rising up among them. Now, what's interesting about false teachers, and we have to make note of this, is that many times false teachers rise up from among us. And people say things that we go, that just doesn't sound quite right, but it does sound right to kind of the way thinking is around us. And all of a sudden, false teachers begin rising up. And here's, here's what we know about false teachers. I would say this, false teachers are actually very charismatic. They're people who are very convincing in what they're saying. Why? Because if we knew that they weren't convincing, then he wouldn't warn us of false, of false teachers. Because you would just look at them and go, oh, they're, they're false, that's dumb, you're an idiot, loser. Like you would just kind of look at them and do that. Type, maybe you wouldn't do that. I don't think Jesus would have you do that, you know. But, but you would instantly know, like, if, if they were not convincing, if they were, if they were not people that were actually bringing false truth, he wouldn't warn you of it if he didn't think it would be a struggle. But I believe these are charismatic people who, who say things, you go, oh my goodness, look how, ta- oh my goodness, they're, they're so talented, they're so great, they're, all these different things, but yet they're speaking false things. And Paul writes this letter to the leaders about the matters of church leadership. He's talking to them about qualifications among the church, proper worship, advice on confronting false teaching, how to treat one another within the congregation. He's challenging the older generation to pass on their knowledge to the younger generation. Sound familiar? Paul is asking Timothy and Titus to live a fearless life. He's saying, be a model. Give of your time. Address the things that are around you. Be a man of character. Every week I have the privilege to serve alongside of some of the most amazing men and women. Um, really, that I've come to know here recently, and many of them are new to our team. And We've been in the midst of some transition as a team um, when it comes to our, our, our paid team. And Really, we're one team. We're not separate teams. We're, it's not the staff and then the board and then the church. It's, it's all of us. We are all on one team. We're all in this thing together. There's no, there, you, you can't go, oh, well, they're a staff member, so they, they, they should be taking care of all that. I was sitting downstairs earlier just a few uh, moments before the gathering and was down there with Randy Biggins, and him and I, man, were, were working on the ice machine because the ice machine was flowing out and water going all over the floor, and, and Randy's like, give me the mop, I got this, you know, come on, Pastor, and, and as we're talking, he's like, we're hidden figures, and I'm like, yes, we are, but you don't realize we're getting ready to not be hidden figures because I'm going to talk about it from the stage. <laughs> But in that moment, he's like, I'll serve, I'll do whatever, let's figure this out, let's figure out what's going on with the brand new ice machine down there, and we got it figured out, and got it drained, and got it all cleaned up. Did we do that because we want the applause of anyone? No, we just did it because we're owners, not renters. And there's a big difference between owners and renters. Renters say, oh, that's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, where's where's so-and-so? I need you to come down and take care of this and handle it. Instead, sometimes you just got to roll your sleeves up and you just got to get down there and, and dip your hand down in the freezing cold water 
and realize that's not smart. Let's get the water out of here and, uh, and make it happen. But here, here's what I've come to love about our team is, is we're not interested in being the hero. We don't need to be the hero. And listen, you don't need to be the hero either. Like, can I just take the pressure off of you? You don't have to be the hero. There's one hero. He took care of everything for you. He's given you everything you need. He literally has every, every resource you would need to accomplish the things he's calling you to. He's already got it. Now, that doesn't mean it's in your arsenal. Some of us have to ask him for it, and then we need to be patient and wait for it. Keenan was talking about that earlier, how we got to be patient in the waiting. But that's hard, isn't it? Because we want it now. It's like McDonald's. We want it now. Stop eating that garbage. You know, anyways, you, you want it now. Anything that comes that quick is not good for you. I can tell you this. When I put, when I put some good old salmon on the grill and I cook it out over a long... Anyways, it's getting closer to lunch. You can tell. But most of us in our lives, what happens is, is our ministry and lives revolve many ways around us trying to become the hero. If we can somehow accomplish the things that we need to accomplish, and, and, and somehow we get, we get messed up, and I've seen this in the church for, for years. 20 plus years I've been serving in, in ministry, and it's been in those seasons where I've seen people fall into this trap of beginning to think that they have to be the hero. They have to somehow have the talents and the gifts and all the different things. And what happens is, is, is they become selfish, prideful, consistently looking for the spotlight, only wanting to serve if the spotlight is available, not just worshiping, not just serving behind the scenes, using other people to constantly lift them up, having no regard for their choices, but in the end, it's their character that either sustains them or drops them off. And can I just tell you, your character is the very thing that will either sustain you to go the long haul, or your character will be revealed and you will quickly fizzle out. You will quickly begin to fall down. There's only one hero, his name is Jesus, and he's the one that we lift up. In John 12, 32, it says, when I, Jesus, am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to what? Myself. Not to you, not to Bethany, not to some other church down the street. He says, I will draw them to me. Now, God chooses to use the local church, his bride, as an expression of his presence, as an expression of community, as a place for broken people to come in and to receive. And that's what Paul's writing to. He's saying, listen, what you do matters. Listen, can I tell you, the church matters. Assembling of the church matters. People have said this, I can, I can love Jesus and not go to church. You can't love Jesus and not love his bride. The two go hand in hand. That's why he's constantly throughout the scriptures giving us this idea of what in a marriage. It's two becoming one. Why would he make that correlation? Because he wants us to understand that the church and him are united. That we, united with Christ, can do even greater things. And Jesus is reminding us that it's not about you. It's not about your talents. It's not about your gifts. It's about me. But 
if you will surrender your talents, surrender your gifts, surrender your time, surrender your treasures, I will flow through you and you will do even greater things than I did. Paul goes on to write this in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. He says, not only that we, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. There's that word again, character. And character produces hope. Now, we don't like this. No one likes suffering. No one's like, oh, I hope I get some suffering today. In fact, a lot of us don't even like our character being developed because it's in the character being developed that he begins to chisel away at parts of our life that need to be chiseled away at. Many of us would say, no, 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 I I don't want the endurance part. I don't want the patience. I don't want the long-suffering part in there. He goes on to write this. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's the one who brings about the conviction in our lives. He's the one who creates the godly character in us. God is more interested in your character than your talents. So Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The reason why I bring that up is because sometimes in the midst of the endurance, your character is being tested. What Paul is reminding Timothy is those who are called to places of leadership will need to be tested. Your character will be tested. And if your character does not sustain who you are, I was talking with my coach about this this week, and he said, you know, Brian, really what character is, is it's not what you think of yourself, it's what others think of you. So think about that for a minute. It's character is what other people say of you. So if they're like, oh man, he's quick-tempered. Oh, then that's your character. That's a part of your character. That's something that needs to be refined. Oh, no, 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 he's slow to anger. Okay, that's part of his character. Paul understood something, and and as I've read throughout the years in various leadership books and articles, um, one thing that constantly comes up is this idea of character being tested. And here's what I've come to realize throughout the years, and I've been taught this from other leadership people, and that is this, is that character trumps talent every time. You can have the most talented person in the world. I mean, and I've seen it. People who have ooh, I mean like just it oozes out of them, the talent. You're just like, oh my goodness. If I could just have just a little bit of their talent, I could be, oh. But it's their character that sustains them. And I have seen talented people moment after moment, time after time, fall. And here's what's crazy about talent though, is we get very enamored with talent. We, we love it because talent is sexy. You're like, can he say that word in church? Yes, I just did. Because honestly, we do. We think, like we do, we look at it and we're like, oh my goodness, if I could, if I could sing like Pastor Scott, if I could get into those high notes right there, like, mm. If I could play the piano like Pastor Scott, man, if I could play the guitar like Mark Ayers over here when he's ripping it on there, oh man. We, we look at talent all the time and we elevate talent up. But I'm telling you, it is 
the character of Scott that will sustain him. It is the character of Mark that will sustain him. It is the character of who you are when no one else is watching. When the spotlight is no longer on you, that will determine what you go and what ha- or will determine what you experience. See, talent can only get you so far, but character will define your life. Talent can impress people, but character will actually move people. You're limited by talent that you were born with, but your character is infinite. Talented people are all around, but character is what will make you stand out in the crowd. Talent is useful, but character is powerful. Come on, your character matters. Theodore Roosevelt said it this way. He said, character in the long run is the decisive factor in the life of an individual and of nations alike. Think about that. It is the decisive factor in the life of an individual and of nations alike. Your character. Paul is writing to Timothy and Titus and growing their challenge, and he's growing or growing their character. Through words of wisdom, he's challenged them to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Our team here consists of these incredible men and women who God has called to serve, to, to be a part. I think about our board. I think about John Weedmeyer and Jeremiah Mauricio and Grant Rossman and, and John Morton and Gary Tuttle and Joel Bills, these guys who God has called in. And yesterday we're sitting down there and we're having a, a board meeting and talking through things that we're facing as a church and financial things that we're facing, things like the lower level right now where we have to invest another $50,000 into the lower level to bring all of the fire suppression, and not suppression, but all the fire alarms, everything, all has to be completely updated. And not all up to like current code everything. So we have to redo all of that down there in the entire lower level at $50,000 price tag. And we're sitting there looking at them going, okay, God, we need, we need a miracle. We need God to do a miracle in this. Now, we have money and savings we can pull it from, but can I just tell you, when you keep going to savings and pulling, eventually the savings runs out. But I believe that God's going to put on the heart of some of you to say, you know what, I could take care of that right now. Come on now, get your checkbook out right now. Get ready, get ready, get ready. But in all seriousness, I do believe that the resources that are needed to actually take care of that are right here in the house. They're right here. It's not outside of the house. Yeah, it's fantastic. Someone gave a $20,000 gift to the faith movement who doesn't even attend Bethany. That's fantastic. But the resources are inside of the house. They're right here. We have an amazing staff that God is using from Michael Torres to Ivy Smith to Krista Sharp to, to Scott Flaunton to Tim Henley to Alyssa Flaunton to Amanda Mauricio to Kasha Henley to Dan Sharp to Ron Sparks to Ruby Stump. We have these incredible people who are all serving in specific areas that God has actually called them to. Talented, yes, but their character is what is going to define them over the long haul. It's going to be the very thing that will either sustain them or will cause them to fizzle out. Character is always revealed over time. Our mission is simple, to bring people one step closer by loving God, loving people, and loving life. We do that through seven core values of we take steps together, we love authentically, we invest in the next, we live generously, we create unforgettable experiences, we share our story, and we are fearless leaders. 
And I want to focus in these next eight weeks on this idea of fearless leaders. And I know I've done a lot to set this moment up, but I have to do a lot to kind of set the series up for us to know where we're going. Because the next eight weeks, we're going to be really exploring these letters to leaders. These specific moments where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, began addressing things that were happening in the church that I believe we can learn from. And upon discovering that, I believe what he was trying to develop was fearless leaders. And we have an acronym here for fearless leaders, and it stands for this. Fun, fun, execute with excellence, aware, relearn, love others, encourage, serve, and spirit-led. Now we put it in an acronym for you so you can hopefully remember it. But seriously, once you get it memorized in your spirit, what begins to happen is you begin realizing, I'm called to be a fearless leader. And this week, I want to really focus in on this idea of fun. This idea of fun, because here's, here's what I believe. I believe that God has called you and I to be the most fun people in the world. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you should be fun. So Paul is writing to Timothy here in 1 Timothy, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. He is writing to Timothy, and he's really, I believe, in many ways, addressing this idea of fun. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, seriously, you can't have fun in church. Who says you can't have fun in church? That's ridiculous. I grew up in a church where you couldn't really have fun. And you know what, as a little kid, I thought? I thought, this place is irrelevant to me in my life. Now, I didn't think it in that word. I just thought, this is stupid. But, <laughs> but I remember having teachers who began teaching me about God's word and doing it in a way that was fun and that was energetic, that where we began engaging in ways, and I began to realize, okay, God is not some boring, stuffy God up there who's waiting to smite me every time I do something wrong. He actually loves and takes joy and pleasure in me, his son, having a great life. Me, his son, enjoying the life that God has given me. Me, his son, spending time out in the outdoors and go, man, thank you, God, for all this beautiful sky. Thank you for the all these beautiful trees thank you for the rain I know we live in Michigan right now and it feels like Seattle but even thank you for the rain because what's happening now is new life is happening growth is happening like crazy if you weeded your your garden yesterday go out there and weed it again because they've probably grown so Paul writes this first Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 he says but as for you O man of God flee these things so he's talking about these things, false teaching, all these other things. You can go back and read that. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus to keep the commandment unstained, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. He's encouraging. Come on, live the life that you know you're supposed to live. He's trying to encourage Timothy to that. He says this, as for the rich, if you skip down to verse 17, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. 
So he said, listen, don't put your hope in the things of this world. And so many times I think as Christians, the thing we get messed up with is we think in order to have fun, that means that we have to be all of the world. But can I tell you, and and what Paul is going to remind Timothy about is this, is your focus shouldn't be on those things, but your focus should be on the one who provides those things. And that he will provide those. That's what I love about this. He says, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you read that? God, who richly provides you with everything to enjoy, everything you need to have fun, God will provide it for you. I don't know. Like, that's exciting. Like, everything you need, everything to enjoy the life he's called you for, he will provide. So listen, I know some of you are like, man, if I, if I only had this boat, if I only had this, if I only had this job, if I only had this amount of money, if I only had this, you're like, then I could have fun. Can I just tell you, no, 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 no. You have everything you need from God who richly provides for you everything to enjoy. He goes on to say, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You can't be generous if you don't have money. You can't be generous if you don't have treasure. You can't be generous if you don't have more time. Like what God is saying, listen, I will give you the abundance of the things you need. Your job is to be ready to do the good. Your job is to be rich in good works, serving others, taking care of those who are around you, to be generous of your time, your talent, your treasures, to be ready to share. He goes on to say, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Now, what's interesting to note here is that many of us would say, you can't store it up, you can't take it to heaven. But what Paul is reminding Timothy about is the life that God is calling you to, the life that's filled with fun, is actually a life that can have a foundation provided for you by the resources that God has already given. So store up those treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And then he warns Timothy. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Almost like Paul knew, Timothy, someone is going to try to steal the fun from you. Someone's going to try to steal your joy. Timothy, there's going to be somebody in the church who's going to be a stinking thinker. There's going to be somebody who's going to try to take from you They're going to try to make the environment not a place of fun, not a place where you can enjoy life. They're going to try to take it from you. But God is actually, I believe, challenging us through these words to guard the deposit, the deposit that he made. He's made a deposit into you of fun. I really believe that. We should be the most fun and energetic, and energy isn't, and energetic is not just like, oh, I have all this energy in the world, because some of you are like, man, my body is broken. Okay, gotcha. You're like, my energy level's low. Okay, gotcha. But the joy of the Lord can be your strength. And I know that sounds like a cliche statement, but I can't tell you the amount of times where I've come in and didn't feel like worshiping, but I allowed the joy of the Lord to come through, and all of a sudden, at the end of it, I was like, boom, I am ready to go. He says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He, he goes on to say, avoid the irrelevant babble. Hmm, Interesting. Sounds a little bit like they had some gossip problems. Contradictions. Hmm. 
of what is falsely called knowledge. Oh, I know something you don't know. Isn't that what gossip's all about? Have you heard right now? Because I heard so-and-so did such-and-such. Did you know that this is happening and this is happening? Can I just tell you, if you are not talking to the person who can solve that problem, that is gossip. And can I just tell you, hold on, don't clap, because I, I, I need to address something for a minute. Here we go. We can pray all day long for God to bless the house, but if there is sin in the camp, there will be no blessing. If there is gossip that continues to happen, and I'm telling you, like, it keeps happening. Because you know how I know? Because people come to me every blue moon, every now and then someone will come to me and say, well, I've talked with so-and-so and so-and-so, and and all these people have been saying all this stuff. And I say to them, they haven't come and talked to me about any of that. And what's crazy is when I sit down with that person and talk to them about the concerns they have, at the end of it, they go, oh, that totally makes sense. Like, oh, and, and you didn't kick me out of the church. No, I did not kick you out of the church. That's not my MO. That's not who I am. Listen, I don't care, and this is going to sound hard, I don't care what the past has been. Stop living in the past. Start living now. Gossip is sin, period. Paint it however you want to. It's a prayer request. It's a gossip prayer request. It's a sinful prayer request. I need to know. I need to be in the not. Trust God in this. Trust God in this thing. Paul is telling Timothy to enjoy the life, but he's also saying it's going to be a good fight. (laughs) You're going to have to fight the good fight. There's going to be some moments of confession to the Father. He's going to richly provide for you. But Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you've got to have fun. You've got to love life. Be rich in the good works. Be generous. Be ready to do this. Fun. Fun. It's a big one. And because fun is really, really important, I think that we should really, instead of allowing fun to be an afterthought, I think it should be a forethought. We should be thinking about, man, how can I have fun? What if on the way to church, you actually said, you know what, I want to have fun today on the way to church with my kids. Instead of being stressed out and angry because they didn't get ready in the morning, what if you're like, how can I make this fun? How can I make this morning getting kids ready fun? How, how can I make this morning getting out of bed fun? It should be a priority. We should have a strategy. It's never incidental. And here's why. Three, three things real quickly that you could write down uh, that I've come to realize through the years. One, having fun together helps us know Jesus better. Can, can I just say that no one wants to be around party poopers, but people love to be around people who are having fun? And guess what happens? When we have fun together, we all get to know Jesus better because we're all rubbing off on one another. The second thing we see is that having fun together helps us not take ourselves too seriously. Some of us need to recognize this. I know you're like, no, this is serious, Pastor Brian. (laughs) Just crack a smile. Come on. Some of you right now, look, look. When the cheeks go up, like, it's amazing what can happen if you just crack a smile. It's, it's amazing. Number three right here, having fun together creates community. When, when we have fun together, it creates community. Can I tell you, the work we did on the lower level um, was work, but man, when we made it fun, when we, would, when we would joke around when we were trying to pull some of that carpet up and 
Jeremiah Mauricio's down there sweating like I, it was like someone had turned a faucet on that man had so much sweat coming off of his head and uh, he was up there and and like but we bonded together why because we were having fun together I, I read an article the other day uh, why workplace humor is the secret to great leadership and one of the things that I began to realize is is that some of the research showed that uh, cultures uh, communities that incorporate human or humor are more resilient, more engaged, and actually less stressed. In fact, according to another survey by Robert Half, that survey said 91% of executives believe a sense of humor is important for career advancement. 84% feel that people with a good sense of humor actually do a better job. Vincent uh, Abel said it this way, he said, Humor appears to buffer an individual against the negative effects of stress. And more than just being a mechanism for coping with stress, laughter actually has a measurable psychological effect that strengthens our immune system. While stress can make us sick, laughter has actually been shown to increase our production of beta uh, endorphins, which help prevent illness. Another Another great one is this, is that laughter actually is a great calorie burn. According to one study, laughing a hundred times, look how many calories you just burned. A <laughs> hundred times burns roughly as many calories as 10 minutes on a stationary bicycle. The study also found that the average adult laughs between 300 to 500 times per day. Come on, how many of you love to laugh? You just, you love to laugh. I had a video that I was going to show, and I don't have time, so we're going to put it on social media afterwards, okay? But there's a video that I want you to watch afterwards. Um, it's by two guys by the name of Tripp and Tyler, and they go through all these different things about how to laugh and different laughter. It's, it's super funny. We'll put it on social media. Um, but I believe God has called us to have fun, to laugh, to enjoy life, to love life, to have fun. Now, if your definition of fun is sin— and it's appearing evil, then what happens is, as many times, that's why we don't have fun, because we think having fun has to be sin. Can I just say, I love it when people are like, you're so fun, and you're a Christian. <laughs> or I go to an event where a lot of people are drinking, and I'm like, I'm there at this event, and people are like, woo, they're doing their thing, and I'm like, woo, and they're like, you're not drinking. I'm like, I know, it's awesome. I'm going to remember this tomorrow. It's fantastic. It's great. But so many of us are trying to fit in with a bad crowd and we're trying to make these friends that we think are our friends, but they're really fake friends. Listen, to have fun is not about being the party hopper, or the, the, the wild you know, party animal or anything. It's about you and I actually recognizing what God's called us to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, and then abstain from the appearance of evil. Some of us just need to even be looking at some of the places we've been hanging out. I am still particular and choosy in the environments that I hang out with. It's not like I go to, you know, bars and parties all the time. I'm like, woo! I, I said that earlier, but I mean, it's not like that. Because why? Because there's an appearance of evil also. James 4, 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, for them it's sin. I love how the writer of Proverbs says, he says in Proverbs 15, 13, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but a heartache crushes the spirit. Proverbs 17, 22, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. 
Ecclesiastes 8, 14 through 15. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. So I recommend having fun, the scripture says. Because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness, and along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Come on. It's hard work. Just being an adult is hard. Come on now. Anyone think being an adult is hard? Anyone want to go back to preschool? Come on, like mom, dad taking care of everything. I mean, you didn't even have to worry about doing anything. It was like, oh, mom's going to have to take care of that one. We're being challenged to enjoy life. Paul said to Timothy, guard the deposit. Guard the deposit. And God is calling us to a place of guarding the deposit. Leaders should be the most fun people on the planet. Godly leaders should have an assurance and a confidence of supply and resource and a home in heaven. So you know what? We've got to get our practice on. We need to be men and women who are fearless. And it starts by having fun. So my challenge to you this week, and it's a really godly one, and I really believe that when I say this, is to go have fun. What would happen if you just began enjoying the life that God had called you? And instead of sitting there and not having fun and scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and wishing you were living someone else's life, why don't you go and live your life and enjoy the life God has called you to and have fun? Stop. Stop. So what? Those pictures are all doctored up anyways. Live life. Love life. Jim Elliott says it this way, and I close. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Crazy as it may sound, this giving away of our possessions, this giving away of of the stuff, not going after that kind of stuff, is what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are called to love life, to have fun. The allure of the things of this world can never be substituted for what a relationship and knowing who we are in Christ can do for us. You and I, when found in Christ, find deliverance. Matthew records these words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is life. You and I can have fun. We can love life. Timothy is being challenged by Paul to have fun, to enjoy the life that God has called them. And he recognizes that the only way that that can happen is through Christ. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. This letter to leaders is written to you and I to challenge us to be fearless. This letter to leaders is written to you and I to have fun. 
And this week, it's, I know it's, it doesn't seem very spiritual, but here's the thing. Go have fun this week. Enjoy life. Spend time with your kids. Enjoy the life God's given you. Stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. Start thinking about what God's blessed you with now and see what he'll continue to do. God is a breakthrough God who's saying, listen, I have given you everything. That's what the scripture said in the beginning, remember? Everything you need, all the resources you need, I've given it to you. So stop walking stressed out, bummed out, and start walking in joy, and start walking in freedom, and start having fun. Let me pray. God, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for the word, God, that you put upon my heart. God, these words that you put on the heart of Paul to write to Timothy, these letter to leaders. I thank you, God, that you are a God who actually, in the midst of everything that we're facing, God, is concerned even with the enjoyment of our hearts and our lives. And I pray, God, for those who maybe right now would find themselves far from you. Maybe the reality of life is that they are separated from you. And in that moment of separation, it's really hard to enjoy their life because there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of fear. So Father, I pray right now that there would be a surrender to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here in this room today and you would find yourself far from Christ, and you would say, you know what, I, I need a personal relationship with Jesus. I, I need that thing that you're talking about right here. I know how to pray a real simple prayer with you that we believe will begin that journey in your life with a relationship with Jesus. So if you find yourself in a place where you haven't surrendered to him, where you haven't asked him to be Lord of your life, you don't have a personal relationship with him, or maybe even in many ways you've kind of fallen away, done your own thing. If that's you today and you'd say, you know what, that's me, Pastor Brian. I want to pray just a real simple prayer with you, but would you just, just acknowledge that moment for a moment by just raising your hand and just saying, that's me. That's me, Pastor Brian. Just want to give an opportunity right now. You just say, you know what, that's me. So, Father, we thank you that across this room are individuals, God, who have a confidence in knowing who you are because they're sons and daughters. I pray that this week, as the challenge has been issued, that they would go out and have fun. Enjoy the life that, God, you have given them. In Jesus' name.